Hey guys, this is Coach Keita Bussey with 180 Firearms Training. I'm here with Mike Seifert and Grant Chancellor Madison, and we're going to talk about USPSA rules versus IPSC rules. So first of all, we'll do an introduction. I'm Keita. I own 180 Firearms Training. I coach competitive shooters all over the world, and I shoot both USPSA and IPSC. I've been doing this for 11 years now and wrote the book, Smart Move, Economy of Motion for the Shooting Sports. I teach a movement class called Smart Move and an, an advanced class called Train Smart. I also have my next book, Train Smart, coming out very soon. Mike, you wanna introduce yourself? Yeah, how you doing? I'm Mike Seifert. I uh, primarily shoot uh, PCC in USPSA. I've been shooting only for a few years now. I think my first match was in October of 17. Um, and then I started shooting PCC at the end of 18. Um, I really just shoot that uh, from the end of 18 until now. I actually have sold all my pistols and um, I travel around the country and um, yeah, I shoot USPSA matches and uh, I, something that I love to do. I'm, I'm actually hooked. I, I played sports for most of my life. And uh, after high school, I was, you know, started working and I was really looking for something to do that was competitive. And I really found a love when I went to my first actually IDPA match, um, but soon after found USPSA and pretty much been in love ever since. So anything I can do to get better, that's, you know, always the goal, so. Hey, Grant. Hi, I'm Grant Chancellor Medicine. I shoot IPSC in South Africa. Um, I started shooting competitively in 2018, at the end of 2018. And then in October, 2019, Port Elizabeth, I won the standard division at nationals there. Um, made the South African team for the 2020 world shoot in standard and primarily shoot standard division. All right. And Mike, we did a little training session at double Eagle Poconos. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we did actually. Uh, I appreciate you waiting for me, first of all. So Keita was <laughs> nice, was nice enough to take some time out. And as soon as I got off of work, I was able to shoot up there and, and we did a couple drills together, which was, actually really eye-opening and um, like I, I take a lot of pride in my movement especially when you shoot PCC I feel like um, shooting is almost secondary to the movement um, if you can get around a course of fire um, efficiently I feel like that's going to help you more than actually pulling the trigger so um, when we went up there I you know I kind of thought I was going to show Kita a couple things and <laughs> well super wrong on that turned out that Kita showed me a few things and ever since then I, I you know I'm always I'm always hitting her up with match videos and stuff like hey Kita you know what do you think about how I shot this particular position or something like that and uh, she's she's actually been really helpful for my game so, so yeah. what was it that really surprised you um honestly I, if I could explain the stage I would but it's like uh there's a chair on the right hand side and you got a target right in front of you on the right and then there's also a target on the left and um I'm like, you know, any, anybody would, would assume that you stand up and shoot the target on the right, run to the left and, and shoot the other target. And that's the faster way. Well, it certainly was not. So you get up from the chair and you run left and you take the harder target first. That was actually, that was, that was extremely eye opening. And um, I actually implement that now. in a lot of the times I'm doing my stage planning. So I would say that, uh, yeah, that was, it was great. It's with PCC, it's mind blowing how counterintuitive it, actually is with the movement. Right. So when you come from pistol to PCC, you have it in your brain to do things a certain way and you don't see all your options where with PCC, with it being longer and having more mass, it is very counterintuitive a lot of times how you move through a stage. Yeah, the lack of maneuverability. I feel like, you know, a lot of people talk about PCC like it's, um, 
you know, it's easier to shoot a rifle at this type of match. And a lot of times I, I don't find that I, it's a lot easier for me to stick my gun around a wall like this with my hands versus having to do it with a rifle. Um, so, so yeah, the, the rifle manipulations and then the footwork in order to get to the positions and out of positions efficiently is, is definitely different than shooting a pistol. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you that I have no experience really with a pistol when it comes to shooting USBSA. So I usually will defer to Keita on that one. I actually talked to Grant about this the other day because he recently started shooting PCC. How now they're building stages to even the playing field between PCC and pistol by making awkward positions to get the rifle around that are much easier for pistol. So it sort of evens the scoreboard a little bit. Yeah, and definitely noticed that in a Aruba um, on a couple of the longer stages, there were some some tough pistol shots that were easier for me. But then on some of the smaller stages, some of the movement to get around with the rifle was definitely more difficult. So, um, and then I noticed that at Area Eight also, they did a great job of putting a lot of like extremely difficult left leans in. And if you're not practicing your your weak shoulder, um, it shouldn't really ever be a weak shoulder in my opinion. You should just be proficient with both of them. But if you weren't practicing that, that was going to be an extremely tough match for you with a rifle. And then I, when I did my stage walkthroughs, I also did it like I had a pistol in my hand. And oh no. Just, just holding a pistol in my hand, like, wow, this corner is so much easier if I just had a pistol and I didn't have this rifle. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a different game. And a lot of people that, it, it, I know PCC is newer and most people don't really understand it yet, but until you actually shoot one at <laughs> a match, like an Area 8 or like, a, like an Aruba or something that's a little bit more technical, it's, you don't really, respect it or, or appreciate it for what it is it's a completely different game so and ironically just before this match i had you practicing left shoulder shots yeah 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 <laughs> right, right and and shooting on the move which yeah, both of which came in handy at that match so yeah and you did really well yeah yeah no i i struggled a little bit day one but came out day two and i shot i was i was extremely happy with my second day performance that i was able to to bridge the gap between me and marco and at one point, I know I had the lead and I'd given it up with a couple stages to go due to a couple stupid mental errors. But, you know, that's what keeps you coming back. They're all perfect to be boring. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And with all that pressure of traveling and getting there, it's yeah. really a different game. With The mental game is so important at that point. Right. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm newly sponsored. So DaVinci Machining, actually, this year, um, we, we started, uh, you know, uh, working together a little bit where I'm I'm now representing them and and yeah there was there was extra pressure due to the fact that I was there for them so I, I felt like mm -hmm. you know I if I'm if I'm here to represent you guys I really wanted to do well it wasn't just me going to a match that I had you know paid for and it, it, it was actually for something so yeah so when you talk about the pressure especially when you travel and you you know you definitely don't want to DQ out of that type of match where you've, you've put so much into it um, yeah it's uh, the the pressure was a little bit more real, but I feel like it wasn't because of the shooting necessarily. It was more because of what went into getting there. Yes. Um, and I we, actually have a section on that in my next book, Train Smart Under Match Pressure and How to Deal with Match Pressure. Right, right. How to mitigate that before you even get there. Looking forward to seeing those points. All right, Grant, you've done some training with me over the last couple of years. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, so I first heard about, so 2018 I started shooting, 2019 kind of new to the game. And the way I would describe it is I can shoot really fast and I can get to the times of my competitors, but then just my hits are not, they're not anywhere near there. Or I can slow down, I can get the hits, but then, you know, my time suck and I basically end up at the same kind of point, whether I miss quickly or whether I'm shooting accurately slowly. So then... 
on Facebook, I see that there's this movement <clears throat> coach coming to South Africa called Kitabasi. Never, never heard of you, never heard of anything. So it was quite expensive. I did have to basically pay off the, the class fee because I really wanted to do it. And I thought, okay, well, you know, the shooting is okay. I can, I can get to that. But the movement, I have no earthly idea what I'm doing here. So I need someone to help me. So yeah, pay that off, went to the class and everyone said it was kind of a bad idea because it was one week before nationals. And I was like, well, you know, let's go for it. So took the two day class. My feet hurt something terrible afterwards. Um, kind of spent the, the next week gestating over it, went to nationals and actually ended up winning standard division. So that was actually just, thanks man. That was actually pretty awesome. Um, one of the nice things as well was bumping into Takeda at the Nationals because you also shot it in PE there and being able to pick your brain with stage planning and that and realizing that yeah you you look at stages differently than the rest of the people like you'll chat to the top competitors and we you, you can't really walk through the stages in Epsic you can kind of just look at them from a distance and I did that the day before the match and then when I bumped into Kita she was like well you know why don't we just do that and then I'm like yeah no one, none of the top guys actually thought about doing that. So definitely the way you look at stages is completely different. And yeah, that, that actually, I think one of those stage wins that you gave me advice on took me over the line <laughs> as well. So funny, funny how that works. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so <clears throat> since then, we, I've kept sending you videos. We've kept doing um, dry fire and, and shooting training and it's funny when you send a video to Akita of just you shooting the gun, just you shooting the gun. And no target in the video. No target in the video, just a, basically a selfie of you shooting. And she responds immediately with, that third shot was a Charlie, wasn't it? And you're like, <laughs> but it was a close Charlie. <laughs> but she, she knows that just by looking at the way the gun's behaving in your hands. So it's, 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 quite, right. it's quite interesting. And I've been gaining quite a lot of um, use, very useful shooting advice from Kita's coaching. I really enjoyed that trip to South Africa for a lot of reasons, but what really struck me the most was at the award ceremony, after everyone got all their awards, I saw everyone from my class winning their divisions. And they all brought me up to the front of the room where they were doing the award ceremony and they all hung their medals around my neck and that I don't know. I almost cried. <laughs> so much. Awesome. Well, let's be honest. They, they, I appreciate you doing class in Aruba after the match then, if that was the case. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah we definitely attribute off. our successes to, to your class the week before, because yeah, most of the guys that actually did very well there took your class the week before. Yeah, that was really exciting. Very, very rewarding as a coach. I thrive on helping other people improve. I mean, I like to shoot, it's fun to shoot, but my passion is seeing my students succeed. Yep. Well, we're trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly trying our best, yeah. So let's talk about IPSC versus USPSA. Mike, you just shot your first IPSC match. You normally shoot USPSA. What was different for you? You, and keep in well, mind, Mike is shooting PCC. 
Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, for me, I would have to say the, the three main things, the first one was the, the stage planning where you're not allowed to walk past the rear fault line. I thought, thought that was a pretty difficult aspect of trying to, to tell what you would be able to see from a certain angle. So I felt like going into my, my stage planning day, which is usually the day before that I was really looking for like two or three plans potentially per stage, given what I thought would I be looking at downrange. So I thought that was a little bit more difficult. Um, um, still not terrible because at the end of the day, I felt like IPSC is a little bit more technical and straight up. Like this is, you could see that this is pretty much the way everybody's going to shoot it. Um, but in that, you know, obviously target arrays and what you're going to take from if you have to add a transition or take a transition away. Um, that, that was a little different for me. So that was more like IDPA for me, but, um, wasn't too bad. Uh, the other thing is I, I usually shoot with no belt and an untucked shirt. And so like, for me, that's like a comfort thing. Cause like when I'm running around and twisting around, like just don't really want my shirt to be tucked in and be restrictive. And then I, you know, shooting USPSA, we have a, I can have up to whatever rounds in my magazine that I want. So having a 32 round mag and then having to store it in a magazine pouch, that was a little bit different for me. Um, so you have to tuck your shirt in and you have to wear whatever you start to match with, which is the same rules in USPSA, but they, they, don't specifically tell you that you have to take your magazines out of a mag pouch. Um, so I usually run my, my 53 round mag in, in my gun. And then I have a 33 in my back pocket, just in case something goes wrong. Um, and I usually get through the day like that, but, um, those, those couple things were, were probably the most, I wouldn't say uncomfortable, but just, you know, the most different for me. I mean, obviously you're not taking a sight picture or doing any of that, but, um, as long as you can remember not to do that and get a penalty before you actually shoot the stage, it's not the end of the world. Um, as long as my sights on it doesn't really matter. But um, yeah, I would say that those were the, the biggest differences for me. Um, I know that there's a couple more, but never really got, you know, into those like, uh, you know, running outside the fault line kind of things. Um, but yeah, well, so. In USPSA and IPSC, you're required to have belt loops. I believe the minimum is two in USPSA. And IPSC, is it four grand? Um, I don't think it's really specified or I haven't actually seen it specified, but yeah, you, you need to have a proper shooting belt. And yeah. in USPSA and IPSC, you are required to have a rig on or a shooting belt of some sort for both sports. So as yeah. far as... Well. Yeah, I guess I, I, nobody ever really says anything to me when I don't wear one. I, uh, I have no issue with that. And actually just taking the RO class last weekend, I double checked with George, George Jones, actually super smart guy when it comes to USPSA, but, um, yeah, absolutely fine. Doesn't say it has to come from a reloading device, but your pocket technically is a, or a reloading pouch, but your, your pocket could be one. So. Right. But you still have to have a belt on, even if you don't use it. Is that true? <laughs> well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to tell me that when I get to a big. Well, maybe they can't tell because you have your shirt untucked. <laughs> well, see, maybe that's why you have to have your shirt tucked in. And right. They <laughs> so they can see it. So, I mean, you know, there is there is a there's a purpose for the rules, I suppose. I just yeah. So a difference well, there. Sorry. A difference there no, for pistol. Oh, sorry, Grant, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to cut in. I think the biggest problem is that local club shoots and that even here that the rules aren't necessarily enforced. So you'll yeah. get away with a lot of stuff at club shoots. And then when guys who haven't shot big matches end up going to those big matches, it's, oh, hang on now. I haven't got this or need to do this or that. But no one has ever told me at a club shoot before. So right. it's here. kind of a thing of mention it, but obviously don't don't be a, well, go home because you don't have the rig. Mention it, but 
we need to actually tell people. Yeah, it's the same way here. So the difference with pistol for USPSA and IPSC is now they've changed the rules in USPSA where we no longer have hip bones. So in USPSA, you can have your holster and your magazine pouches anywhere on your belt you like. You can have a magnet. And in IPSC, those have to be behind the hip bones. And if you have a magnet on your front pouch, when the magazine is attached to the magnet, it must be behind the front point of your hip bone. So that's if you use the magnet. If you're not going to use the magnet, then it doesn't matter. But you can't move anything on your belt in IPSC. So they do an equipment check where they actually write down on a piece of paper where every magazine is, where your magnet is located, where your holster is located. And if something moves, then you get in trouble. So if you didn't have a magnet in the beginning and then you have one on later on in the match, you put it on for a certain stage, that's a disqualification or not a disqualification, but a bump to open. Walk into open, shoot minor, have fun. And that actually happened that. to me. Where, where do they bump you when you shoot PCC? <laughs> you can have it anywhere in PCC. <laughs> yeah. Super nose. Well, yeah, because PCC is <laughs> completely open at the moment. So right. yes, you can have your mags and, and magnets anywhere you want. And it doesn't yes, matter. I'm talking about production yeah. or production optics. So in USPSA, it's called carry optics. In IPSC, it's called production optics. So for production production optics and production, you have to have it behind your hip bones. Now, one time in the Philippines, they were talking to me and taking selfies and things like that, and they forgot to write down that I had a magnet and the location on the belt. So when you sign that piece of paper, make sure you check that everything is exactly where it should be before you sign it, because I didn't look. And then later on in the match, the RO said, you have a magnet. It's not on here. Luckily, I wasn't using it anyway, so I just took it off, and I never touched it. So, yeah, there's got to be a way know. to argue your way out of that one. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, they were taking selfies. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's I'm no excuse. You need to know the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, knowing the rules, you know, especially after taking this RO class, knowing knowing the rules, not only is it going to make me a better RO, it's going to make me a better shooter because there yes. are there are definitely a lot of little intricacies in that book. And I'm sure it's the same way in the IPSC rule book that like you can you can definitely call for certain things or not weasel your way out of stuff, but just using the rule book and applying the rule book, you know, can definitely help you throughout your day. Um, you know, if, if you have a call not go your way that you definitely don't agree with, um, you know, as long as you follow the right procedure. But nobody's going to tell you that. That's one thing that it says. Like nobody can say, hey, well, you should do this and then say this like, well, OK, but no. So if you know the rules, I mean, that's that's a huge part of the game. Another interesting thing is the award ceremony. In USPSA, the award ceremonies used to be like a red carpet event, and that's sort of how they are for IPS, I, IPSC. So they have rules for what you can and can't wear to the award yeah. ceremony. No flip-flops, no cargo shorts. If you're Most wearing... Casual, I believe right, wording. it's a dress-up <laughs> event. Well, I broke the flip-flops rule, that was for sure, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I did not bring any attire because I was not prepared for that but I was told that if you're if you wear a, a team jersey that's okay so I wore my yes. my shooting shorts like a, a pair of black shooting shorts and, and my jersey and then all I had was flip-flops so but nobody again nobody said anything about the flip-flops so 
they mean it, but it's just not enforcing rules. I appreciate that because I was. Well, it was at a, shooting at a pool. Sam. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they were clean pair. One clean pair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends yeah. where you go. If it's, you know, if it was the world shoot, that wouldn't fly. Yeah, which I saw was in Thailand. I was actually just looking at that before we got on this. I'm, I'm yeah, was kind of interested in you know, at least checking out what it would take to get there for next year, for 2022. I saw it's at the end of the year, which would, I don't know how it would work out with work, but I was going to talk to Dave about that from DaVinci, see if we can do something with that. So. So let's talk a little more about viewing the stage from behind the fault line. So in USPSA, the day before a major match, you arrive, you look at all the stages, you walk on the stages that aren't occupied by staff shooting. And you can actually walk through them as much as you want. You can walk around the outside and look at all the targets and where they're located. You can watch the staff shoot in either sport and see how the movers move, but you can't activate the movers yourself in either sport or that's a disqualification. So in IPSC, we had to stand behind a certain point. At some matches, they'll have it roped off. But at this yeah. match in Aruba, they just said, don't cross the rear fault line. Yeah. So you have to kind of move side to side to see what you can see and hopefully see other people shoot so you figure out where things are available from. Now, if you ever build stages, that actually really helps with IPSC because you know how a stage builder's mind works and where you would make things available from. So I think that for me, because I build stages, that gives me a little more insight when I'm coming up with plans and trying to see the perspective where things are available from and where they're not. Yeah, now that's what I was talking about before. Like I, I, I felt like I needed two or three plans walking up to actually go through the walkthrough. So like, I know Grant, you shoot IPSC all the time. So is it easier for you to like dissect the stage from behind it? Because I, I Felt like I was back in IDPA, like struggling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah, no, um, I am quite jealous of the fact that you guys can do that, you know, a day or two days before the match because the match book and the way the stages are laid out are never, ever going to be the same. So it is definitely nice and a, a nice advantage to be able to walk through the stage and write in the match book, okay, well, this target's actually up here, can be seen from this position and engage it like this. So you can better plan out your stages before the day. So... On IPSC, as you know, you rock up, you walk, you kind of look through the stage. You can kind of, some stages are easier than others. You get a big 32 round stage that has a whole bunch of barricades, a whole bunch of um, barriers in it. You don't necessarily are able to plan the stage. You can kind of get an idea of what you're going to do, an idea of how you're going to start the, the stage, but you can't actually finish that until you're there and you get your five minute walkthrough. And the problem with the five minute walkthrough is you have an entire squad of sometimes up to 12 people. You're all trying to get, do your stage walkthrough. You're all trying to get your stage plan. And if it's a complicated stage, everyone's bump, bumping into each other. Um, so it basically, you may end up only getting one walkthrough on the stage. Yeah. That is a skill on of itself that you need to be able to, if I only have one walkthrough on this large 32 round stage, Maybe it won't be the best plan, but can I walk through it once, get the plan in my head and be able to visualize it and execute it? That's how you basically win, win, win some of those stages because the other guys may miss a target and I've done that. So I'm totally guilty. We completely just run past the target because you only got that one walkthrough. You didn't see that target. You erroneously counted 32 rounds 
And yes, the ROs walk you over and say this target wasn't shot, and it is quite demoralizing. If yeah. I do say so myself. Yeah, well, maybe that, maybe that maybe that's what lends to like the follow the herd strategy in IPSC. Then you know, like everybody kind of shoots the same thing because if you've seen other people shoot it that way, and then you only have five minutes to actually see it yourself, you can't really get creative with, you know. Well, maybe I've seen other people doing this, but maybe if I backed out of here, you don't really have the time to to actually do that. So maybe that's what yeah, that's. that's yeah, that's definitely a, a thing, especially when you, the top squads are usually back to back. So the top production squad will be right next to the top standard squad on that. So inevitably you end up waiting and watching the next guy. So the thing about that is you're able to see, okay, well, they ran the stage this way. Clearly that's the fastest way that they've figured it out. However, I've got two more rounds in them so I can actually take a better risk. Maybe that way, let's see when... I walk up to the stage and look at it, maybe a risk going a different direction with two extra rounds rather than having to do a reload here, kind of for instance, as an example. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a skill being able to 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 just basically rock up and do that. Also, one of the other key differences is in, in USPSA, you're allowed to drop the hammer and basically drive fire an array. Mm-hmm. So even on even on shorter stages, you can basically just go through and draw fire the array, pick your spot on the target, see where you want to move your eyes. In IPSEC, you can't. You can't drop the yeah. hammer. And if you want to check your red dot, kind of they're allowing a bit of leeway that you can check your red dot on the first target. But that doesn't always no. happen often. So it's that's not what I was back. No, that's illegal. Okay. It has to be toward the ground. Yeah, pointed at yeah, the ground. Down round. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel that. like I feel like there's a lot of people in USPSA that will do that, and then they step up and blow the stage. So like I don't I don't know about they'll sit there and they'll literally do it'll be like a, we always call it the GM walkthrough or the, mm-hmm. GM, the, GM, <laughs> the GM make ready, you know, where it literally takes five minutes. Um, so I don't know. To me, at that point, the the thing I like about it is if you don't have your plan down at that point um, in USPSA, going through it the day before, and then you know rehearsing it that morning before you actually start shooting for the day, um, then I, I feel like you didn't do enough. Uh, pre-planning so if you're going to stand up there for five minutes and take a sight picture on every single target before you actually make ready i feel like that's a little bit over the top to me but uh, yeah it it is nice to to be able to just practice that first target with the rifle you know like okay that's that's what it's going to feel like and then you're down and it's standby beat and you get that first the first target usually is a little bit nicer but yeah i don't i don't necessarily see a benefit to taking a sight picture or going through it in your head with every target especially when you can only move one step in uspsa so i can't I can't actually, when I get the make right command, I can't. Yeah, two steps. I thought it was only one step from what I've heard at this point. Two steps is a P, I believe. You should check that. I'm pretty sure. I'm like, I feel like I'm up on the, I feel like I'm the rules guy now after the RO class. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm pretty sure it's one step. So yeah, you you can only take one step. So if you haven't, you know, if you're going to stand in one position and then just do a sight picture of you doing a mental walkthrough in your head, like, I guess, but it's a little, it just, to me, it's a little bit excessive on the time. and, And, you know, as everybody knows, we all like to, get out of there before dark so uh, if there's ways to actually make the game go faster i feel like that would be one of them is limiting limiting the make ready to the standby to be like 20 seconds you know put your mag in get your stuff ready and let's get it going um but yeah i did i i almost blew that a couple times in aruba where i i before one stage specifically i i like i always pick my gun up to get my first target before i put it down i got halfway and went nope and i put it right back down but yeah no, <laughs> I, I didn't i didn't ever break that rule in particular but yeah taking a side so- picture Easier. Another difference with the make ready is you, when you draw the gun, you can't with a pistol, of course, or 
with the PCC as well with mounting, you can't do it like a draw, like you're practicing a draw. You just have to take it out <laughs> without it looking like a draw. That's the other thing subjective. you can't do yeah. when you load the magazine, you can't load it like a reload, like you're practicing a reload. Who's to say that that's, that's very subjective it's, in my opinion. Yes, it's very so, subjective. That's hard to be, that's hard to enforce a rule that is so broad in my opinion. You know, so but that's only in IPSC. Or, right. Well, from stage to stage or RO crew to RO crew, you're going to get differences mm -hmm. in what they think is you actually practicing a draw versus you taking your gun out. So that's that's right. one that I feel like is almost works in the shooter's benefit, because if it's so broad, then I can argue the crap out of that rule. You know? so I, love <laughs> rules, I love rules like that that aren't very clearly stated. <laughs> so if you guys are going to the world shoot, something to keep in mind when you go to Asia is the way they do their walkthroughs is very different. You know how we all stand in sort of a conga line and we all take our turn getting one full walkthrough for IPSC? In Asia, they don't do that. Me. It's like ants on a watermelon. What so, so what you need to do is get your plan generally. Of course, you don't want to cement that plan in the day before until you see it and get your five-minute walkthrough. So get your general plan. Pick out what part of the stage you're not sure about when they say go for your five minute walkthrough, go straight to that spot and look at it and figure it out. Then try piecing it together and you might have to piece it together backwards or from the middle first or front and then end and then middle. <laughs> Wherever so you can get your everybody eyes Everybody is in. so slow is what you're telling me that you, you can't just do one full walkthrough sometimes? Is that what you're, is that what you're getting at? No, Whoa. what I'm saying is everyone ambushes the stage in all different places all at the same time in Asia. They don't walk through standing. They Got don't it. line up and walk through. In fact, they laugh at us for doing that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That, that's, that's weird. I, I, yeah, so, definitely see that in Aruba, but I guess we were on a squad with all U.S. people. So, yeah. so if, if you do shoot it, I would recommend at a local match or something like that, Take a look at your stage, get an idea of what you're going to do. When they start the five-minute walkthrough, go straight to the spot you're not sure about and then start piecing it together from there so you can start practicing that before the world shoot. Got it. That's how it's going to be in Asia. Okay. <laughs> if you're Absolutely on right. a super squad with all you know, Americans, then you're going to get your walkthrough. But if it's mixed in, then you may not. All right. That's something that's to advice. Yeah. keep an eye out for. Thank you. Okay, something to look out. Thank you. <laughs> Taking notes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Always learning. Always learn. So. So something else that we do in USPSA that you cannot do in IPSC is run outside the lines. Hmm. In yeah. IPSC, if you step out, you have to get back in in the same spot. They did change a rule where now you can jump over a corner unless it's considered to be a shortcut. So usually what they do is they'll, if it's a fancy range, they'll put a nice planter with some pretty flowers there so you can't jump over it. If it's not such a nice range, then they'll probably put a stack of tires there. <laughs> Roger that. Yeah, no, and I, again, I feel like that's a rule that really limits creativity as far as your stage planning goes. Like, so I feel like Grant, the fact that you can't run around a wall and get to another position. I've used that multiple times shooting USPSA where yeah. your momentum is carrying you outside of the fault line. It's faster to just keep it going and go around that wall and step back in around the wall versus 
trying to back out, get your momentum going the other way and get around it. So I, yeah, I feel like that's another thing that could limit creativity and stage planning when it comes to IPSC, but you know, I, how do you feel about it, Grant? Yeah, it definitely turns some stages into very like myopic. You're going to go to A and B and then C and everyone's going to do that because you physically Absolutely. can't do anything else. Right. Um, that would be nice to run outside the line. That would create that, um, that interesting dynamic where you'll see some people do that. Basically, we've gotten very good at shooting something efficiently inefficient. Yeah, so you're good, at, you're you're good at your entries and your exits, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah you, you've, got to get good, you've got to get good at that because you're going to be doing a lot of them because you can't, you know, if, you, if it's like, for instance, shaped like a T, you can't run right, then run left, and then just keep that momentum forging you forward to the front. You've got to stop and you've got to get that momentum back to, to move back to basically where you started. So, I mean, it, it's part of the rule book. You're going to have to have to do that. Don't, don't do the USPSA shooter thing where you immediately got into the first IPSC match and you immediately run out the fault lines and then every shot you fired afterwards is a procedural. And uh, yeah, that's not a good, that's not a good match winning strategy. Let's just say that. Yeah, that was one thing that was in the back of my head on one particular stage that we had in Aruba was um, to not run outside the fall lines. But yeah, right before we shot, we were all telling <laughs> each other, make sure you don't run outside the fall line. So we were, all, we were all good there. But yeah, there wasn't very many opportunities that I would have necessarily done it at that match. Um, and it was kind of the same setup at Area 8 here recently with the IPSC, more IPSC. See, I keep saying IPSC, USA. They are, they are technically <clears> the same thing. We're a branch of IPSC, but um, it just seems that it's a little bit less restrictive in USPSA overall. Well, yeah, and another thing, IPSC matches obviously designed around the fact that you can't move outside the fault lines. I think if if that was the case, then you would see more more USPSA stage designs leaking into IPSC where you could shoot it kind of like that, but you also could run outside the lines or you, or even better, you could have this one box at the start and you got to run to another box. And that's also quite a fun thing that we don't have because you've left the, you've left the fault lines. So we don't have those stages where you have three different boxes that you have to move to. I never even considered that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we did, we never did start in a box and then run somewhere else. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's <laughs> see, like, why, why so, why so restrictive? I don't know. It seems like IDPA rules to me. Well, yeah, especially um, we have done stuff where it's like man versus man as a, as a fun club shoot thing where you have to run to a box and it does create that interesting dynamic of if your foot's not completely in the box or your other foot's still on the ground outside the box, who's getting the procedural type of thing? Did you shoot too soon? Um, and that, that's a quite, a quite interesting element um, that comes with being able to run outside the fault lines. Yeah. So something different about IPSC versus USPSA is their activator sequences tend to be much more complicated. They will have really small steel like this big and they'll paint them all different colors. So sometimes it'll be a little brown square with a brown background and it's really hard to see. They also have a lot of swinging plates. Um, they have bobbers that go up and down behind no shoots and go down like a slide. See, that's cool um, to me. I wouldn't mind shooting that if that's strictly an IPSC thing. I, I mean, I've seen actually- It's not swing, strictly IPSC, but- swinging plates is fun. I've only shot that at local matches, but I think, you know, I think the problem with plates in USPSA is the rule is if, if you hit a plate and it doesn't go down, it's an automatic reshoot, stop and reshoot. So I feel like you don't really see very many plates there because they, they try to keep the match rolling. 
And if you have a plate spin on you 360, the rule is if you hit the plate, it is supposed to go down. So if it doesn't go down, it's, it just slows everything down. So, <clears throat> yeah. So another interesting difference I've seen is on the short courses, our short courses in USPSA typically are you stand in a box and you shoot these targets right in front of you and that's it. A short course in IPSC, they have some really, really good ones, especially I've seen them in Europe where there's a little bit of movement, not much, you know, just a little more than a box, but it's more complicated. They have walls set up. You have to kind of twist around and see things and really interesting activator sequences worked in there where sometimes you have to activate on one side of the stage and then engage the mover on the other side of the stage and get there in time before it goes. Yeah, it really becomes like a, a timing a timing game at that point. Um, and they're really good at making sure that the timing is the same for each shooter so you don't get that excuse. But also, some of the stages are designed in a way that you can kind of see a target if you do a hard lean, but are you going to guarantee that you're going to get those good hits? So do you want to move that extra step and get good hits or do you feel confident in your abilities to basically, you know, conjoin yourself and get a, get a lean on there? Um, and then, yeah, I uh, was watching Eric Rafael shoot one of those, one of those short courses where it's two activators and two targets and oh, two yeah, bobbers. Oh yeah, I saw that there. too. Everyone saw that. And that was just, that, that is just incredible. Rare. And yeah, Mike, I don't know if you've seen that if that video yet. I haven't seen that particular. I've seen him shoot a lot at his practices where he does a lot of like timed swingers and stuff like that, where it's like you got to activate, activate, shoot, shoot. Otherwise you miss him. So I've seen him. I haven't seen that particular video though. No. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. You must actually go check it out. But yeah, that's kind of basically, I think that's a European thing though, um, to be honest. That whole intense sequencing events with activators. Um, haven't really shot anything in Russia or uh, Asia yet. So I feel like it's something that if you're the MD of a match, would you want to, you know, that's something that you got to be pretty confident in to put that in and not have it screw everything up and have to throw something out. I, do they throw stages out in IPSC if stuff like that doesn't work? Yeah. They really, yeah. they yeah. try not to, but they will, they will it pull happens. a stage if it's just not working. So, I mean, to throw that in into a big match where you got people coming from all different countries is that's, that's definitely a risk. So if you're not building that and knowing that it's going to work perfectly, I could see why that's not something that you see very often, you know? So. Any yeah, other differences? A, sorry. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely more of a technical, a technical route. It's not just run up and shoot fast. It's run up, get, the sequencing, make sure your feet are exactly in the right spot. Very which positional. Is also another, another thing that we're, we're that we're seeing is more positional matches and more low ports and weird angled ports at a weird position. With a kind of you can run up to the port and get it every all the targets, but you can also kind of position yourself perfectly and, and get a stage. So what happens is you see a lot of guys, top end shooters, actually shooting the stage completely differently. Um, at one of the Cape Town Nationals, the we the top three guys in the standard squad, we saw one of the stages. It was a very technical positional stage. All three of us shot it completely differently. Um, whether we didn't necessarily try to, but all three of us had different ideas on how the stage <clears> should be shot. It happens. But at the end of it, we actually compared our times. All three of us were basically within two or three percent of each other. So at that stage, it didn't actually matter. It comes down to execution. Yeah. 
So, Mike, you just took an RO course. What yeah. is the rule about when your finger can go on the trigger coming into a position? Um, well, you have to be engaging targets. So um, your finger can't be on the trigger, I believe, if you are moving, which is defined as more than two steps or changing body position. So if you're going from like a high port to a low port, um, you have to take your finger off the trigger in between. Um, I don't know if there's a specific rule that says something about um, like how early into a position, like three feet before the position, you, you're allowed to put your finger on the trigger. I think it's more, it, it's, I don't, it's something that's a call for an RO. I believe it's subjective. I don't think that there's actually a specific rule, but um, yeah, as long as your finger's off the trigger while you're moving, you know, and then as you're coming up, getting your gun up, you can throw your finger on the trigger if you're about to start shooting targets, but any other time. And then you're not allowed to have your finger on the trigger when you're reloading either. Um, so yeah, other than that, you're, you're good to be blasting, which is something I'm, I've, I've never actually struggled with. Thank God. Cause I know a lot of people that have trouble with breaking that habit of keeping their finger on the trigger. Um, it's just something that's instinctual for me to, to, as soon as I'm moving my fingers on the side of the gun, cause you get more control with the gun anyway, that way, when you have your, your finger inside the trigger guard, I feel like you're, you're losing a little bit of control with the gun, mm -hmm. you know? So, so I feel like it actually helps you shooting when you, when you're moving, it helps you moving when you get your finger outside and put it on the side of your gun. So, so IPSC has the same rule, two steps before you're shooting, you can start getting your finger on the trigger. If the gun is indexed on the target or where the target is going to appear. So depends on the RO. Grant. As always. Yeah. <laughs> I had an interesting experience at South African nationals with this. They're not used to seeing this there. Everywhere else in the world, that's totally normal. But that wasn't normal in South Africa. Yeah, I'm I'm getting quite a lot of finger cores because obviously you're training me and I'm two steps before getting into position, getting my finger on the trigger, and I'm prepping the trigger to that wall. I am getting some comments about, you know, maybe your finger was on the trigger a little bit too soon. Please watch out for that. Um, wow. So, so yeah, you, that, ha you, have to be, you have to be in the position before you can put your finger on the trigger, yes. is what you're telling me? You have to be at yes. the corner. Yes, you have to be <laughs> fingers wow. out until you are engaging the target. Yeah, That's... sites need to be on the target before you put your finger on the trigger Who, who's to say what my engaging the target routine is maybe that's getting my gun up is i'm starting to engage the target am i you know like how can you argue that you know like i don't know like what does the rule actually state on engage what is the definition of engaging a target is what i would look up in the rule book and see that that would be my argument like is there a definition of that because if there's not then that is me engaging the target it just takes me a little longer than everybody else and i have to do it before i get to the fall <laughs> <laughs> okay write that one down <laughs> until he's a school teacher and gets a lot of excuses from his students I, absolutely <laughs> yes yes so yeah well, no, that's I don't know. i'm always looking at nitpick stuff like that so i mean if they're gonna if they're really gonna call you on it i mean you have to be ready to kind of say like how can you argue that you know because i mean if the rule is your foot if they say the rule is your foot has to be on the fault line before you can pull the trigger well that doesn't i mean okay then that's okay. different then my foot wasn't so, on the fault line Again, if you go to the world shoot in Asia, you have to be getting your finger on the trigger about two steps, one to two steps before you want to be shooting. Otherwise, you're going to be behind and you're not going to win. Right. Yeah. The minute, the minute you clear that barricade, the minute your sights cross into that target, the shot needs to go. Because I, I believe I timed it. I think I, I did speak to you about it. It's about 0.2 of a second per That sounds engagement. about right. Per target. Yeah. And that's How like almost 12 shoot? targets on a stage. Yeah. 
you know, it's a lot of time. And people are always wondering, <clears throat> where am I losing time? Where is this, this time just sinking away? And it's, it's small things like this that are adding up. Yep. Yeah, it's not just one big thing. Yeah, I've told people that so many times and they're like, well, what are you saving a quarter second? I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're doing it a lot of times in a row. Like that's, you don't understand. <laughs> right. Like when you're like, how'd you beat me by 30? It's like, because I did the quarter second saved every time and you did not. Mm. So yeah, no, it's tenths of a second. That's literally what we're looking for in this game. So these, these guys, I, I feel bad for the guys in South Africa because, you know, they're coming from a culture where it's not accepted to do this and they're jumping into a world shoot where it's expected that you do this. So it's just in South Africa that you, that you, I haven't seen it anywhere else arm. in the world. That's like the, the only place I've seen of it. SA? <laughs> like everywhere else. <laughs> It's okay to do it, but only in South Africa. I'll have to watch out for that if I ever come shoot a match there. Well, yeah, yeah and they'll let you know. 90. They'll let you know in advance. That was so. That was a real struggle for me to not do something that I'm in the habit of doing and that is accepted in the U.S. and everywhere else I've shot in the world. To consciously before I shoot every target, uh, uh, no, no, don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. I was literally fighting my finger the entire match. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that. That would be very awkward for me also. It was very yeah. distracting. That's where you just got to be fast enough that they can't see you. So if you're but it was a really that, cool idea. match. <laughs> I very much that, enjoyed that it. That was the plan. <laughs> now, something yeah, no, I actually interesting liked that match in... as well. But I did win yeah. it, so I can like it. There you go. Something interesting in Australia, if you ever shoot a match there, they don't paint the barrels. So, so if you, what did you learn about grease rings in your class? All right. Well, see, this, this depends on who you talk to on grease rings because mm -hmm. technically, so George is a big fan of grease rings. I've me and me too. Uh, but I have been proven wrong one time. I forget who actually showed me something where they completely proved me wrong with the whole grease ring thing. But um, yeah, I mean, just because, just because something hits something doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to leave a grease ring. Right. So like it could pass through something and still leave a grease ring. And I'm always like, well, that's just not possible. But then I was shown a, a clear barrel hit. Mm -hmm. I believe it was a barrel hit one time and there was still a grease ring on the target. So it's like, how do you, how do you discern that? But um, yeah. How do you, and it how can do you, go the other way as well. How do you deal with through and throughs if you don't paint the barrels? How do you tell if you have a partial or a. They don't. Interesting. So if you, if it even touches the barrel, that's it. Cause it's so full of holes. You can't prove that it wasn't a full penetration. So if it touches oh, the barrel, it's it's a not it's a no hit, is what right. it is. Even if there's something on the target, that's interesting. That, that would, so you got an alpha on that edge, and you can't hit hit an alpha on that edge unless you shot through the barrel. So that's a mic. Why don't you guys just paint your barrels? There you go. Problem solved. <laughs> it was definitely another cultural difference that I didn't know about going into this match, but it's the way it's always been done there. So when people come in from other places, it's. There are definitely cultural differences at every match. That's yeah, not I mean, I feel like that's that's another thing that's not necessarily a hard a hard thing to change if you're coming from a USPSA background, a shoot IPSC. If you know that going into the South Africa match, oh. where hey, if you hit a barrel hit, you're not you're not getting that hit because you know when you hit a barrel, you can hear the distinct difference. So like that'd be something that in your mind that you could you could switch over. I feel like and be like, okay, if I hear a barrel hit, just shoot again. Um, right. So yeah, if I had like known, yeah, then absolutely, I would have done that and. Yeah, I made the mistake of saying, well, how do you know if it was a full penetration in the barrel or not, if it's full of holes and it wasn't painted? 
And what they said that was a big no no. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And then at that point, I realized it's just the shooting culture there. And I was coming in from the outside and just didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Right. Which, you know, I'm glad that I had the guys on my team going into Aruba and a few other people that were a little more experienced because that was my first international match that I had to, you know, bring all my stuff for. So, yeah, I was I was a little bit um, perturbed when I wasn't able to take my gun to my hotel and do some dry fire the night before. I was like, you guys are are literally going to keep my gun and then only show up to it at the range. Like that's I was kind of hoping to bring it over the range today and do a little sight in. But nope, nope, you are not allowed to have your gun until you actually get to the match, which was like that. That was interesting for me. It's like, who's going to let me do my naked dry fire at night before I go to sleep? <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the travel part of going to Aruba. What did you have to go through to get there? Um, so I've flown um, domestically before with my guns, and, and all I really had to do was one extra step, which was uh, I had to go to the airport the day before um, or you know a couple weeks before only to go to the customs office and have them check my serial number on my gun just to say that I'm leaving the country with that gun, going to that country, and then I'm bringing the same one back. But past yeah, that, it was, it was pretty similar to any other flying I've done. It's only a declaration. It doesn't even, so we don't have a firearms license in the US like they do in the rest of the world. So they just wanna see something with a government stamp on it and your serial, serial number and your name. So all it is, is the customs form 4457 that okay. you have to go and fill out and they stamp it and that's, what they want to see but it really means nothing <laughs> except right. that you brought it in with you and you're leaving with it and the, and the suggestion i would make to somebody would be because i actually had to go there twice because i was told one time that don't bring your gun into there and i was like okay but then oh no they want they, they want you to bring yes. your gun with no magazines and then preferably locked up in like the case that you're gonna fly with it in um and that's like because then you're gonna wheel it across usually like the where you park and then walk into the office and Yeah, and definitely put it inside of a bag or something so it doesn't look like you're carrying a firearm because people do freak out about that. Right. So as long as you keep everybody comfortable, usually they were were okay with that. And then flying, I just, you know, the only thing that was different for me when I actually stepped up to the ticket counter was having to deal with the lady um, for the import permit from the match, which was in Dutch because Aruba is a Dutch province. Um, it took me a little bit of time and a couple forwarded emails to her boss, her boss's boss, in order to have them say that I was okay to go because they or- originally wanted me to have that in English. And I was sitting there saying, well, I can call the guy now if you would like and have him send it in English if they make that. But at some point it was okay. So yeah, so the import permit at the ticket counter was a little interesting. But past that, it's the same TSA checks that you would normally do and all that stuff. And then when your gun gets there, you got to go through customs, obviously, but um, really the, the, the process was smooth. And I think that was more due to the uh, match director and the match, yes. uh, the match staff being at the airport and they were ready with everybody that was coming. And so they, I think they helped that process along more than if nobody was there to help you, but. Um, so really- in order to fly internationally with a gun to another country, you have to have a reason to be there. So a sports shooting competition, you are allowed to bring a firearm. You need to have your official match invitation printed and signed. You need to have forms filled out for whatever country you're going to, and it's different for every country. So the match director will always get those to you and they'll check it and make sure it's filled out properly. Usually you need your um, gun and serial number, um, how much ammo you're bringing, obviously your name, birthday, maybe your passport number, things like that on there. And you bring all that with you to the airport so that they know you're approved to bring this gun into the country or they won't let you bring the gun on the plane. You can get on the plane and 
take your flight, but you're not bringing your gun with you. That happened to Matt Hopkins once. Not ideal when you're going to a gun match. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you do need one of those. Yeah. So the other ever, thing have, is, you ever, have you ever flown to the U.S., Grant, with guns? Because I'm sure when you came mm. to the U.S., you were probably like, well, this is extremely easy compared to whatever I have to do back at home. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's nice because we get, we get these things. That's an actual firearms license. That makes guns. it easier. Now, if I, well, the thing is, if I wanted to fly internationally, I'd have to get an export import permit from the South African Police Service. The problem with that is it could take four to six months to get something like that. So the, the thing is, when we were sitting around um, in June, waiting for, the, for them to eventually cancel the, the wall shoot this year, we're sitting around thinking, well, even if they say it's going ahead, the chances of us actually being able to get the permits to take our guns over may not even come in time for the November match. So it's already too late. Uh, so that's, a, so that's that a one-time thing then. So you get that export permit for the one time you're going from there to there. It's not like you have one for 10 years or whatever it may be. No, yeah, it's, it's, per, it's per thing. It's so per, you got to know you're going to a match pretty far in advance and have that set up then. That's, that, that's kind yeah. of a nightmare. Yeah. Well, it's just because that uh, our police service is very inefficient and it takes, it takes six, eight months to just get the license and all the applications are thrown in with that and that is also import export applications with normal license applications so wow that would be a big turnoff for me if i had to go through all that every time i wanted to fly somewhere with my <laughs> so wow yeah so and anywhere like we go any internationally we need that yeah like you mentioned mike another thing is in some countries you're not allowed to take possession of your firearm aruba is one in, yeah. If you fly to Russia to shoot a competition there, they have some good ones in Yekaterinburg. And they will actually have someone from the range meet you at the airport, take possession of your firearm, and take it directly to the range. They take possession of it. In other countries, you can have a sponsor. So if you're staying with someone who has a firearms license in New Zealand, for example, they can do this. So when I went to New Zealand, I had a sponsor who took responsibility for me and my firearm, and it had to be kept in their safe at all times. It could only be in the car to drive to the range and from the range. You couldn't stop anywhere else. It's kind of like being in New York. Yeah, no, I stay out of New York. I'm from New Jersey, so I'm not much better, but I'm better <laughs> than New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no when international people come to South Africa, you'll get a temporary license basically it's just a piece of paper but mm -hmm. it's essentially the same thing as our card and you're allowed to take possession of the the gun and keep it with you as far as i'm as far as i know yes like, and that's the other option you, is a temporary firearms license i know canada has know. that you guys have that um where else have that i can't think of it i don't know there are a few different countries that have the temporary firearms license which is another application process you have to go through and get approved so for these yeah, countries typically it's a little more paperwork but you get to have your gun yeah it, it's also a couple months in advance thing as well so it's not a yes. oh, i'm gonna go shoot a match next month in, in south africa like you better borrow a gun when you get here because <laughs> you're not bringing yours interesting yeah and there are some countries where you have to go through the consulate in the u.s to get all the paperwork filled out and approved and you have to mail them your passport if you don't have one near you that you can just drive to like for the czech republic 
if you go shoot a match in the Czech Republic, you have to contact your consulate for the Czech Republic and fill out all these forms with them. They have to physically look at your passport. So for me, the nearest one would be Chicago, which is five hours away. So I would just mail it. Uh, I think Max Leagrandis um, just drove there. It was like a few minutes from his house. Oh, you get those kind of breaks when you're that good, you know, so <laughs> every, everything seems to work out. So, yeah, but then he flew through New York, which I told him not to do. Uh, not something I ever suggest, you know, I mean, so if you do fly it, through but... New York, don't fly through New York with guns. But if you do and there is a delay, do not take possession of your firearm. Get on the next plane to literally anywhere but New York. It's worth it. And just so, go. No matter how much money that ticket costs. Yeah, well, those, those you will go tickets. to prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. New York's a little rough. Like we shoot, I shoot with a, a couple guys from New York, but, uh, you know, they're all great guys. But yeah, no, they, they, nobody really agrees with any of the restrictions because they're all a joke. But I mean, you know, every, every state has their own thing here in the U.S. and we all do what we got to do, you know? Even so. when I fly into New Jersey, even though I can fly in there with a firearm, I still mail my firearm to gun sitters in advance because it's so close to New York. If I were right. to get redirected, I'd be yep. screwed. And that actually happened once. And Pixie was on the plane with me. We got redirected to New York because of a bomb threat. And thank God I actually mailed my firearm there in advance. That's or I would have been screwed. Yeah. Like I usually fly out of Philadelphia. I will never fly out of New Jersey either, but uh, yeah. So I'll drive the hour and a half, but. I yeah, never really it's worth it. What would happen? It just it's it's always seems to work out. Philly's a big enough airport that I don't really think you know it would be extremely bad luck if you got delayed or diverted somewhere else that oh. wasn't a, a gun state. Another thing to keep you from getting arrested: <laughs> when you check in <laughs> at the gun counter, they have to put this little tag inside your gun case if it's a big rifle case, or on top of your pistol case if it's inside your luggage. And this tag is a declaration form saying you declared that you have a firearm. You're not trying to sneak it in. And, and you announced firearm. it to the person at the front desk. They sign it, you sign it, you date it, stick it right on top of your gun in the suitcase or inside your rifle case. And there was one time I was flying through Australia to New Zealand. Almost got arrested because they did not declare that there was a firearm when they switched airlines. So uh, the suitcases were on one airline and then we switched yeah. to another airline to get through the rest of the journey. And the one airline didn't communicate with the other airline. So the best case is to stick with one airline, but the police had to actually go open the case, find that little declaration and then everything was fine. But yeah. if I had forgotten that's a, that's a that's a good piece of advice there. That's always the awkward part when you you know I always like you walk up to the ticket counter and there's just everybody else going to wherever they're going for vacation with their family and they ask you to open up your firearm right there and you got to unlock all all the locks and open it up and here's my gun and everything and it's that's always a little weird for me but uh, yeah and yeah. never let them touch it. Yeah, no, especially those people. The, the TSA people are not so bad in the U.S. I mean, at least you know they that's what they do. They handle stuff like that usually, but um, 
yeah, a lot of times the, the people that take account are pretty <clears throat> ignorant when it comes to a lot of the gun rules, which is like on our, on my way to Aruba, I was standing at the counter for about an hour and 45 minutes before they let me up to my gate because they just weren't a hundred percent on all this paperwork, even though it's something that I was allowed to do. So make sure you leave yourself enough time. That's one thing I'm going to tell you when you get to the airport. Yeah. It took, I think a full three hours for Pixie and I to get through with the firearms, but luckily I knew all the rules. So I was able to explain it to them and walk them through the process. And then they just called a supervisor to check and make sure it was okay. What airport was so this? If, what airport was this? This have was MST. Been, have you ever been to Philadelphia? Do you know the people behind yes. the counter? You do not explain yes. anything to them behind the counter because then you know more than them. And then that was not a good start to that conversation. No, so. what I do in Philadelphia <laughs> is I walk up to the counter, I smile and I say, hey, how are you? Yeah, and they say, I'm and not doing after great. They say they're, <laughs> after they say they're at work, you know, whatever. Then you say, I'm sorry to make your day a little harder, but I have a firearm right. to check. Right. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And they make sure you know that too. <laughs> so I never try to educate those That's people. That's what I you say. Try to, I try to be as helpful as I can without trying to step on their toes, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and also you say, I have a firearm unloaded in a locked hard side case. Right. So that, that lets them know that you know what you're talking about. Even if they don't. Right. So international travel, your gun has to be in one bag and your ammo has to be in another bag. But within the U.S., it can all be in the same bag. But the ammo has to be in factory cases. And Dylan cases do count, like the plastic cases with all the little holes for the bullets. And um, actually, magazines count as factory cases as well. Huh. You, just, you have to tape over your mags if you load them, don't you? You got to put like a piece of duct tape or something over them. So you don't have to, them. but if you don't want to end up with loose rounds in your bag. Yeah. They don't like that. I've had it happen where one of my Dylan cases popped open and there's ammo loose everywhere and nobody said anything, but it's supposed to be contained. So now I actually put a piece of tape around my Dylan boxes as well, or a rubber band or something. Probably good advice. Yeah. And for international travel, the firearm has to be double locked. So you put on a trigger lock or a barrel lock on your pistol and then put it in a hard side case and lock the hard side case. Plus they want the suitcase locked most times as well. Hmm. And every airline's a little bit different with their requirements. Interesting. Yeah. And I didn't have to, I didn't have a trigger lock. I just, I had the, I have a Pelican case with the four locks. That was more than fine for them. So nobody said. Yeah. And that's about. fine for Aruba. If you're flying out of the U.S., it's fine. Coming but back when you're flying back to the U.S., they might have different rules. So just make sure you have a barrel lock or a trigger lock or something with you in case the airline you're flying out on requires it. That's, I definitely did not have one of those, so I will bring one next time I travel internationally. Yeah, and I always keep extra locks in my suitcase because I always lose them. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Has any of the TSA agents ever opened your gun and gone, oh, that's cool? Oh, every yes. time. Every time. <laughs> okay. They're all gun people. Just like us. Yeah, they, they like the guns too. They're, their job dictates they have to take it a little more seriously. But yeah, they think it's cool too. So usually yeah. you get a story about what they shoot and when they shoot. Yes. And all that stuff. So <laughs> the TSA people are very okay. Yeah. It's, the, uh, it's getting to the TSA people that takes a little bit of time. So. Well, I cool. think we got to wrap this up. We're running out of time here. Oh, it's been so fun, though. Yeah, yeah thank nice. you guys Pretty for fun. coming on and talking about this. This was cool. Yeah.
thank you for having me. I enjoy it. Yeah, no. Definitely thank you for having me. We should we we totally should. Something something else. There'll be another another podcast idea, I'm sure. Absolutely. So yeah, anytime, Keita. Anytime you want to do it, I'm in. So all right, fun. Thank you. You guys have a great day. I'm going to Wisconsin section to hang out. Enjoy. Hey, say hi to uh, who is Josh gonna be out there? Is Josh gonna be or uh I don't know. He, he should be. We'll he's, see. Got nat- he's got Natty's coming up. He should be practicing. So we'll see. He has yeah. He's looking <laughs> really good. Are not practice. No, nationals <laughs> are not practice. <laughs> so it's been a little difficult this year with the primers and stuff, but you know, I mean, I, yeah, practice has been a tough one, right? I don't know how you're doing it, but um, practice has been a little bit difficult for me. I, I've been shooting a lot of matches locally and that's been my and dry fire, but past that it's getting hard to afford primers and all that kind of stuff, to, you know? So. Uh, we have such a small market here. We imported quite a large batch. We actually haven't gone through any of that. The powder's becoming a little bit of a... It's, it's kind of a feast and famine thing. There'll be a whole bunch. It'll be really well-priced, and then it'll slowly degrade. It'll slowly sell out, and it gets a little bit more pricey, and then there'll be another batch that'll come and replace that. So we actually haven't run out of primers. Powder's a little bit harder to find, but it's not impossible. Um, so sorry, but it happens when you only have like 3 million gun owners in a country of 60 million. So yeah, right. versus, versus your guys' appetite. Yeah, no, I agree. It'd be nice when those come back, but yeah, it was good. It was nice meeting you, Grant and Keita. It was great. Very nice meeting you, Mike. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to do it again at some point. So yeah, you guys have good. a good afternoon and good luck at Wisconsin, Keita. And I'm going to make some ammo. So all right. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> you go. Have a good one. Make well. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Have fun. Bye. And I'll catch you guys yeah. soon. Bye. Bye.